Africans are almost used as puppets in the global war for dominance. It's like you're forced, you're either pro-Western or against Western. It's either you're with the global North or you're with the Central um, or Eastern Europe or you're with um, the Arab League or you're just like, you're being forced to choose who is your ally, who is your friend. And this leaves African countries at a at a very complicated position because I can have a good relationship with Russia, but I also want to have a trade relationship with America. I can have a great relationship with the Arab League, like Rwanda really does, but they still want to do trade with Britain because these countries are not at a place where they can freeze out one for the other. But how the West operates is it wants to force you into a corner. Choose who you're standing with, choose who you're with, and then if you choose anybody that's not me, then I'm against you. And this hurts African countries because it hurts how they do business, it hurts how they trade, it hurts how they can import or export their goods, it hurts how they can access money at the international markets. And African leaders are beginning to say, we cannot be at the center of this. We are pro-African. We do business with people who are good for Africa. If you're good for Africa, then welcome on board. But I am not pro-French or pro-America or anti-anything. I am pro-African and anyone that's good for Africa is good for me. We Africans are insulted by the boxes, the categories, which sometimes place us under the influence of the Americans, sometimes under that of the British, sometimes the French, or the Chinese, or the Russians, and even the Turks. We are neither pro nor anti-American. We are neither pro nor anti-Chinese, nor pro or anti-French, nor pro or anti-Russian nor pro or anti-Turkish. We are simply pro-African, that is all. Placing us under the influence of this or that power is an insult. It is contempt and racism towards a continent of more than 1 billion, 300 million people. Hello there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of our conversations. My name is Indira Ganga. I am a business journalist by profession and a digital content creator. I love coming on here and talking to you guys about black people, Africa, our empowerment, and how we can rise up and take our rightful place at the global stage. You can connect with me on social media at Ondero Oganga on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where I document my life as a journalist and, and as a travel content creator. I was in Ghana for almost two years and then I moved to Rwanda for work. And I realized like, I'm always just telling you in Rwanda where I am, but I've never shown you Rwanda. And so along the way, it's in the works. I'll begin doing content outside of politics, which is gonna stay, but I want to showcase African different lights and we're gonna start with Rwanda. I know you've heard a lot about Rwanda, about how it's the cleanest country, how it's fast developing, but there's so much to this place the food, the culture, the music, they have this beautiful dance. Oh my goodness. All that, I will be shooting it, documenting it. So let me know if you're excited to see it on the channel. Now, to today's video, which is all about Africa and a pro-African agenda. And I'm so excited that African leaders are beginning to say, 
Daddy, we are Africans. Africa is our business. And anything that is good for Africa is good for us. And nobody is going to force us to align with any other thing that is not linked to our African agenda. Because for a long time, Africans have been told what the African agenda should be. Who Africans are, what Africans are, where Africa is, you know. It's almost like Africans do not even have a sense of belonging in who they are, the global stage. And African leaders, particularly the president, the interim president of Guinea, is saying, we're taking back the narrative. We're taking back our power. And when he was speaking during the United Nations General Assembly, something very important um, came up. Um, Guinea, just like many West African countries, or not West African, but the Western Sahel region, have gone through a military coup. Now, these military coups have been very rampant. It's not often that you see a coup every month. You know, it's not it's not normal and it's not often because the world has gotten to a place where we have democratic institutions that are in place and different countries have different constitutions and they go through different election cycles to put leaders in office. They have institutions that can check, um, that ensure checks and balances with the instruments of power that they have. But some of these African countries have been having a lot of problems in terms of growth, in terms of development, um, they're still lagging far behind than they should. And we've seen a lot of military coups, bloodless coups, so very important to mention, where um, military facets of the military are saying, this is not the country that we wanted, this is not the country that the people voted for. And so we're going to ask you in power, we're not going to wait for another two or three years for you to keep derailing the country further for another democratic election. We're going to take you out of power and put somebody else or an interim government as we wait to go for an election, but things should not continue as they are because the people are suffering. Now, the reason I bring this up is also because of how the leader spoke about the coup, because he spoke about the coup from a point of necessity. But if you listen to international media, it's almost like they're painting these countries as lawless states. And while I'm not a big fan of coups, I'm not even a fan of coups because military intervention should be the last resort, should actually be the last resort. Like when push comes to shove and shove is not shoving, if you understand what I mean, then maybe because nothing good comes out of the brute and the sheer force of, of, of the military. And when one military facet seizes power, then you, you open that Pandora box. It's like they, they now start playing, you know, hide and seek with the countries. Like if this military facet is unsatisfied, you know, so there's a, there's, there's a reason why democracy and democratic institutions are put in place to ensure law and order. But also some of these African countries have been done to a disservice by their leader in cahoots with some of these Western powers. And so the, the, the leader of Guinea was saying, while it might be true that some coups lead to nothing, there's also an alternative truth that some coups are necessitated by the greater good. No political forces at the time had the courage nor the means to put an end to the duplicity that we were experiencing, as they were all completely neutralized back then. The institutional correction for which my brothers in arms and I took responsibility on September 5th, 2021, was only a consequence 
of that chaotic situation, which had ended up tearing apart the social fabric of my country and undermining our coexistence. This is not an exhaustive list, but we believe that the transitions underway in Africa are due to several factors, including broken promises, the lethargy of the people, and leaders tampering with constitutions with the sole concern of remaining in power to the detriment of collective well-being. Today, the African people are more awake than ever and more than ever determined to take their destiny into their own hands. The unequal distribution of wealth creates endless inequalities, famine, and abject poverty, which make the lives, the daily lives of our populations increasingly difficult. These inequalities are part of the causes for the events that endanger our peaceful coexistence above all. When the wealth of a country is in the hands of an elite, while newborns die in hospitals due to a lack of incubators, it is not surprising that in such conditions we are seeing transitions in order to respond to the profound aspirations of the people. Another thing that he spoke about was democracy, particularly the French definition of democracy. So the French, and this is something we've spoken on the channel. I almost feel like a broken record when I talk about when I talk about it, but it's it's something that is ongoing. The relationship that France has with um former France colonies is very skewed, it's very one-sided. La France Afrique is nothing new, they've been called out in it. And the leader of Guinea is saying, that kind of democracy, whatever you thought works in the West or works in France, doesn't work here because you formulated that model without us. To be honest, you formulated it without us. You didn't know us outside of the confines of your little colony. You didn't think about who we are, where we are, where we're going, what we could become. You didn't consider us in the greater African context. You just did cut, copy, and paste. And this is something that we were taught in school by um, Professor Jeffrey Satch. He says, there's something called differential diagnosis. There's a Simply put, there's a method to the madness. What happens or what works in um, America will not necessarily work in um, Canada and their next door neighbors, but it might not necessarily work because differential diagnosis, where you look at one country, who are they, who are the people, what's the culture, what's the history, who are their neighbors, where are they located, you understand, who are their neighbors, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, so whatever form of democracy works in the West and in France might not necessarily work in Africa. And I'll tell you why, because now we're stuck with election cycles where um, you wait to change leaders, you have to wait for the election cycle. Um, in America, that can work 
or works to some extent because your institutions have existed for years and years and years on end. You've had the judiciary, you've had law for very many years and though it might have its own challenges, it's been in existence for years and you've built it for years. So you've had an opportunity to strengthen your institutions and it can play the, the checks and balance role for any administration that is in office. And that's why, and even like Senate and, you know, they can play the oversight role. But then you come to Africa where all these things are new, institutions are new. Um, and so playing that, doing the checks and balances becomes hard. And so you'll find an African country stuck with a leader for seven years, a leader who's not even good for the country. Why? Because Western democracy dictates that you wait until you go for elections. And if you try to rewrite that democracy in your own way, then ha, you're unstable. Ha, travel restrictions. Don't go there. They're uncouth. They're uncivilized. They don't know democracy. They're lawless. They're unstable. We're all aware that this democratic model that you have so insidiously, skillfully imposed on us after the La Bolle summit in France, something you've been imposing almost religiously, this model does not work. Various economic and social indices demonstrate this plain and clear. This is not a value judgment on democracy itself. Believe me, this is just taking stock of the situation. It's a balance sheet. Over several decades of chaotic experimentation with this model in our environment, we can make this observation. This was a period full of nothing but political games. And this, of course, has been to the detriment of what is essential, namely the economy. And the local processing of our natural resources. Allow me to take this truth exercise a little further. Through my short but very intense experience of managing a state, Guinea, I have come to better understand the extent to which this model has, above all, contributed to maintaining a system of exploitation and plunder of our resources by others. And a rampant corruption of our elites. National leaders who have often been granted democratic labels based on their acquiescence or their capacity for selling off the resources and the property of their people, or perhaps their ease in giving in to the pseudo recommendations and injunctions of the great powers. I must confess in this regard that everything that I am facing goes beyond all imagination. These are the same people who profess democracy, transparency, who denounce 
poor governance and corruption who dictate the rules. It is they who, behind the scenes, very discreetly and underhandedly, are increasing pressure to make us cede our national wealth through unconscionable Leonine contracts. The last part, which is the most interesting part for me, is the fact that he talks about um, alliances. And he says that Africa is pro-African. We're not pro-French, we're not anti-US, we're not pro-Russian and anti-Ukraine, no. We are pro-African. We are Africa and Africa is our agenda. If you see us doing business with Russia, do not say we are pro-Russian. Hell no, we are pro-African. Russia is giving us grains and fertilizer at a good price and we have to feed our people and we have to ensure that the agricultural production cycle continues. So if they're going to, we are going to get fertilizer from them, so be it. We're just looking out for ourselves. If America is our biggest trading partner, then we're going to keep importing our goods to America. If the EU, with the exception of Britain, decides to give us a better trading deal, we're not going to say no to it because what, British was the biggest colonizer on the African continent and now we owe them allegiance? Hell no. It's time that the world begin respecting Africa and seeing it as an independent unit rather than still a place that they can scramble for influence and dominance. The African people are tired, exhausted, by the categorizations with which everyone wants to box us in. Africa's population is young. It did not experience the Cold War. It did not experience the ideological wars that have shaped the world over the last 70 years. That is why we Africans are insulted by the boxes, the categories, which sometimes place us under the influence of the Americans, sometimes under that of the British, sometimes the French, or the Chinese, or the Russians, and even the Turks. We are neither pro nor anti-American. We are neither pro nor anti-Chinese, nor pro or anti-French, nor pro or anti-Russian, nor pro or anti-Turkish. We are simply pro-African, that is all. Placing us under the influence of this or that power is an insult. It is contempt and racism towards a continent of more than 1,300,000,000 people. It is important that in this prestigious and influential assembly we understand clearly and definitively that the era of the old Africa is over. With a population of more than one billion Africans, around 70% of whom are 
young people, young people who are completely free, open-minded, open to the world, and determined to take their destiny into their own hands. The time has come to realize that the structures, the rules from the post-war era, established in the absence of our states, which did not yet exist at the time, are obsolete. This is the end of an unbalanced, an unjust era where we had no say in the matter. It is time to take our rights into our account and to let us take our proper place, but also and above all, it is time to stop lecturing us and to stop treating us with condescension like children. Rest assured that we're old enough to know what is good for us. We are mature enough to define our priorities, to design our own models, which are in line with our identity, the daily reality of, of our countries and our populations, in line with what we are, quite simply. We would be very grateful to you if you trust us and let us run our business as you have allowed in certain regions of the world, as you have allowed in Asia, in the Near, in the Middle East to cite only a few. Well, thank you very much for watching. That's all I had for you in this episode of our conversations. Let me know what you think. Give this video a thumbs up if you like it and share it with a friend, you know. And again, in the spirit of plugging you guys, let me know if you would like to see a little bit more about Rwanda because all we hear is just the president and all Rwanda is like, would you like me to go out and show you, you know, the life, the food, the people and the music. Oh my God, the music, the traditional Rwanda music, Chevskis so beautiful and i just think that it would be such a great service to the narrative of africa if we start if africans begin rewriting their own history and telling their own stories so tell me if that's something you'd like to see in the meantime follow me on social media at ondiro oganga where i document my life as a journalist and a travel content creator across the african continent i'll see you again next time